Okay? All right. Day. Good. Light. Good. Up. Front. Over. In. Love. What is the opposite of love? Um, Elie Wiesel says the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. Indifference. Which is kind of like saying the opposite of love is, wait for it, not love. It's kind of how I read that. The opposite of love is not love. Um, I believe the opposite of love is actually a three-letter word, and it's, it's the word sin, S-I-N. Um, specifically this morning, that's such a big word that I wanted to bring it down into focus for us just a minute and, and talk about the seven deadly sins. You guys remember those, right? Seven deadly sins. Do we have that, that graphic? Facebook, Netflix, eBay... Twitter. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But the seven deadly sins, somewhere around the fourth century, we came up with this thing, the seven deadly sins. I believe sin is the opposite of love. I heard a pastor say when I was in college that the only thing that keeps people separated or apart in their relationships, there's only one thing, it's sin. Sin is what keeps us apart. Sin is what breaks us up. Sin is what keeps us from loving each other. So basically in today's message, I want to answer the question, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me no more. I want to answer that question, what is love? Sometimes the best way to understand what something is, is by knowing what it isn't. So I want to tell you a story today. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Sam who was born. Sam was given a very special gift from God. At school, Sam was never the smartest, he was never the cutest, he was never the funniest, but there was one area that he exceeded all of his classmates in, and that area was strength. He was a little Mr. Universe, and as he grew older, he grew up and became not only the strongest kid in school, but the world's strongest man. And his story is in Judges chapters 13 through 16. So what, what I want to share with you, Sam's story is about upgrading. And that's what we're in right now. We're in this series called Upgrade. And, and we all know what an upgrade is. Upgrade is when you take your life to a whole nother level. Okay, a whole nother. Can you say that with me? A whole nother level. That's where we want to take our lives and our love. And Sam's story is to me both kind of a comedy and a tragedy in some ways. Uh, and we can learn a lot from his story. It actually starts before he was even born. Uh, the Bible says in Judges 13, again, again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. God sent judges. How many of you have ever uh, read any of the Old Testament book of Judges before. That entire book is not only about leadership, God's leadership in our lives. It's also about God sending these people into the lives of the Israelites to help rescue them 
over and over and over because the Israelites needed rescuing constantly because they were constantly sinning and getting themselves in trouble. And so when I say that God sent judges, I don't mean that he sent a black-robed, wire-rimmed glasses with a gavel in his hand. I mean, these were ordinary people. Some of them were farmers. Some of them were teachers. Some of them were all kinds of things. These were rough-around-the-edges kind of people, not the kind of people that you and I normally think of as being um, in front of people. Well, the, these people were, were people God sent. And it says in verse 2, In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. How many of you know someone that's gone through that? I do. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Samson had a special calling from God. He grew up. Samson went through puberty. His acne cleared up, and finally he became a young adult a red-blooded male. And the Bible says in verse 14, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. <laughs> caught his eye. It's a boy meets girl kind of story. Or actually, it's boy sees girl across the street and starts stalking her. It's more, it's more like that. You know, he started following her Facebook posts and following her on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And so finally, by the way, I'm just curious, what do you think it was about this Philistine girl that caught Samson's eye? You think it was her high IQ? Maybe her outfit, her command of Middle Eastern language? You know, when I first saw my wife, the very first time I ever met her, I remember I was thinking, Wow, she is such an excellent speller. <laughs> she has obviously won some spelling bees in her past. I'm interested. You think I was thinking that? No, I was like, she's cute. I'm interested. Well, which incidentally is not the first thing she was thinking when she saw me. When she saw me, she was wondering, why is this guy wearing a red flannel long-sleeved shirt and gold corduroy pants in the middle of summer? And I have no answer except I needed a wife bad, bad. Verse 2, when he returned home, he, that is Samson, told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timna caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Now, I'd like to point out at this point, Samson was living in his parents' basement. This is not the best way to go out and try to get dates. Truth is, he was living with his mom and dad. And so he sends his mom and dad. I cannot imagine sending my mom and dad uh, to go and try to get someone interested in me. Can you? Would, that, would you lead with that? No. Hey, let me just send you my parents. No, that, that's what he did, though. His father and mother objected 
Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? They asked, why must you go to the, and here was the issue, the pagan Philistines to find a wife. But Samson told his father, get her for me, she looks good to me. And there it is. The real reason Samson liked her. Samson's like, Dad, she's hot, and I want her. Go get her for me. Samson's not thinking with his head or his heart at this point. And the first statement I want to make this morning about what love is or isn't is that love isn't lust. Love isn't lust. We're talking about upgrading our love, taking our love to a whole nother level. Well, if you're going to do that, you have to first understand what love isn't. And it's not lust. A lot of people in our culture get this confused. Lust is an overwhelming desire to have what God does not want for you. That's what lust is. An overwhelming desire to have what God does not want for you. Lust is to a relationship what cancer is to a normal blood cell. It destroys it. It consumes it. It eats it up. It makes it dysfunctional. Uh, Drew Anderson, writing in the Reader's Digest, told of this story. He said, while my wife and I were shopping at a mall kiosk, a shapely young woman in a short, form-fitting dress strolled by. My eyes followed her. Without looking up from the item she was examining, my wife asked, was it worth the trouble you're in? <laughs> question, question. Was Samson's desire love or lust? See, some people, well, this is what I found. Some people think they're in love when they're really in lust. And to be honest with you, we must leave Las Vegas to upgrade our love. You can't settle in Las Vegas and make your home there and think that you're going to go to another level in the area of love. You'll go to another area in the area of lust, but you won't in love. The Bible says in verse 4, his father and mother didn't realize, however... The Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. The Philistines, remember, ruled Israel. Lust ruled Samson. But remember this, God rules everything. And no matter how long lust has worked in your life, the Bible says that God is at work in us. For it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is able to remove these things from our lives or to decrease these things in our lives. I don't know if you've ever heard, I'm sure some of you have, of St. Augustine. St. Augustine, as a young man, was very, very promiscuous. He pretty much lived a pretty loose life when it came to his morals. Uh, he would follow various philosophers, and, and his whole kind of upbringing at first was just this long search for answers to all these questions he had. At a point in his life, he was teaching public speaking. It's rhetoric. He was teaching public speaking in Milan, Italy. And a friend of his, and he wanted to go hear the preaching of St. Ambrose, who was the bishop of Milan. At first, he only went to Here's St. Ambrose because he knew he was a great speaker, and he had heard that. So he wanted to go check out his rhetoric and find out, you know, is he good at this, and what are his techniques, and I need to use this to teach my students. But as he listened to St. Ambrose preach, 
he got a new perspective on Christianity, on Jesus, on faith. It kind of piqued his interest. Sometime in the year 386, Augustine and his friend Olypius were spending time in Milan. And while outdoors, Augustine says this, that he heard the voice of a child singing a song. The words were this, pick it up and read it. Pick it up and read it. He thought at first that the song was related to some kind of children's game, but he couldn't remember ever having heard a song like that. Then he realized maybe it was a sign from God to pick up the Bible and read. So that's what he did. He opened up the Bible, and this is the verse that he read when he opened it up. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual excess and lust, not in quarreling and jealousy. Rather, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. Reading this scripture, Augustine felt as if his heart were flooded with light. He turned totally from his life of sin. He was baptized by St. Ambrose, the preacher that had taught him so much about Christian faith. Later, Augustine went on to write, and he wrote this famous prayer. He said, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You may have heard that prayer before. That was St. Augustine. No matter how long one of the seven deadly sins has operated in your life, God can help you and I to overcome sin. God can upgrade your love. Remember Sam's story. Verse 5, as Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And I think this is important. This was the source of Samson's strength. It was not that he was, had this amazing build. It wasn't that he had worked out and he had pumped iron for years. The source of his incredible supernatural strength was God. Whenever the Holy Spirit came on him, he became strong. And so the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. How about that for a story? That's amazing. You're, think about a, a man, a human being, doing that to a, the king of the jungle. Ripped it apart. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat. But he didn't tell his father and mother about it. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. This is Samson's story. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother, and they ate it. But he didn't tell them he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. Now, this is the next statement I want to make in taking our love to another level. Love respects boundaries. Love respects boundaries. Samson ate honey from the dead lion's carcass. Now, the issue here wasn't that Sam overate. He didn't grab too much honey and stuff himself and walk away and go, I'm sorry, I'm such a glutton, God. It wasn't that. It was the fact that he had taken something and touched a dead, a dead carcass. You see, God had given Samson boundaries because he had a special call in his life, so his life wasn't really his own special call. God had called Samson to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was a special kind of calling. 
where they couldn't drink alcohol or touch a dead body or cut their hair. That's why you saw the reference to that. That was something God had wanted for Samson even before he was born. Samson knew his whole life that he was a Nazarite. But here, because of his hunger, he compromises his God-given standard by not only touching this dead body, but eating from it. Let me just stop right here and just say this to you. One of the things that people do wrong in the area of love is looking for love in all the wrong places, right? They start looking for love in all the wrong places. I want you to notice Samson goes to something dead to try to get life. It's not what God intended for Samson. He did not want Samson hanging around dead bodies. He didn't want Samson touching them. It was an issue of holiness before God. And I wonder how often you and I look for love around dead things when God wants us to look to him. Love respects God's boundaries. It does. Love is willing to do that. Love doesn't take what doesn't belong to it, and love doesn't take more than it should. My next statement is that love isn't greedy. Notice this happens with Samson. As his father was making final arrangements for the marriage, so his mom and dad gave in and said, all right, we're going to go ahead and arrange this marriage. Samson threw a party at Timnah, as was the custom for elite young men. When the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 young men from the town to be his companions. They said, Samson, you need a big bridal party. This is a big deal. We're going to select 30 men to stand by you. Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of the celebration, I will give you 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. But if you can't solve it, then you must give me 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. I don't know what you call it. I don't think Samson planned on giving all that to the goodwill. I think he wanted it for himself. I think Samson at this point in his life was greedy for status, and I think he was greedy for possessions. I think he just wanted more. Now, who can blame him, right? I mean, Sam's like a lot of us, just never really happy with what we have. We just want more. Somebody asked J.C. Penney, how much is enough? How much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more. And so that's the same thing that happens here. All right, they agreed. Let's hear your riddle. So he said, out of the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. So three days later, they're still trying to figure it out. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us or we're going to burn down your father's house with you in it. This is the Italian mafia, the original Italian mafia. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? They were mad. So Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, You don't love me. You hate me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. He says, I haven't even given the answer to my mom and dad. He replied, Why should I tell you? So she cried whenever she was with him and Kept it up for the rest of the celebration. Ladies, you don't do that, do you? I think they call it nagging. I don't think we have any naggers in here, do we? No. Not at Crossroads. 
At last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. Then she explained the riddle to the young men. So before sunset of the seventh day, the men of the town came to Samson with their answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson replied, uh, something that I don't know that husbands really ought to say. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. Samson was rough around the edges. Let's just put it that way. He needed some classes in being a gentleman. But the truth is that Samson's greed got in the way of his love. Samson's a tragic story. I mean, if you ever read in the Bible, he never quite found the love that he, looked, he was looking for his whole life. He went from marriage to Delilah. Remember Delilah? Some of you that never lived in Delaware don't know what I'm talking about. 99.5. Yeah, see, the thing is, he just went from relationship to relationship, and he never got an upgrade in the area of his love until his final act in his life. There was a lady, she owned a string of hotels. She owned the Empire State Building. Do you believe that? She was a billionaire, yet in September of 1989... Leona Mindy Rosenthal Helmsley was convicted of 33 counts of tax evasion for which she faced at the time the possibility of up to 100 years in prison. Now, we know she didn't spend all that time. According to Time Magazine, she emerged as a penny-pinching tyrant who tried to cheat just about everybody. No amount of money was too small to fight over. Here's how greed gets in, in the way of love. Because of greed, after the sudden death of her only son at age 40, in 1982, she sued and won the largest share of his estate, $149,000, leaving his four children with $432 each and his widow with $2,171. Love isn't greedy. Love isn't greedy. Love also isn't wrathful. The Bible says in Judges 14, but Samson was furious about what had happened. He was furious. And he went back home to live with his father and mother. You remember, they figured out his riddle, and he became angry, very angry. Um, whenever we're angry, that's usually not our best moment. Would you agree with that? We usually do dumb, hot-tempered stuff when we're mad, when we're angry and we lose our temper. Samson decided, I can't believe they did this to me. I feel betrayed. I'm going to go home and, well, I'm going to live with mom and dad. Back to the basement. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. My goodness, talk about humiliating the best man gets the wife who you were going to marry. And Samson, he, he doesn't know all this is happening. Anger, it's been said, is like leaping into a Lamborghini sports car, gunning the accelerator, speeding down the road at 100 miles an hour, only to realize the brakes are out. You feel out of control, and you're spiraling toward a horrible ending, a horrible crash. That's what happens when we get angry. 
and it gets in the way of our love. This morning, this morning coming to church, I was, I was, my stress level was going up because of some things that were happening. And uh, I remember my son looking at me and going, you just need to calm down. You just need to calm down. And I was like, you're right, you're right. I need to chill out, take a chill pill here. Sometimes it just gets in the way of us being able to love, to be calm. <laughs> Ken thanked me early, because thanks for being calm. I was like, man, if you should have seen me before getting here to church. You know how it is, right? Sunday mornings, that's when the devil fights you the hardest, right? You know, you're, you're yelling, you're trying to get the kids ready, you get there and then you get to church, hello, how are you? Good, everything's good in my life. It's just how it is sometimes. So love isn't wrathful, love doesn't envy. Love doesn't envy. Later on during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a present to his wife. He kind of came around to his senses and said, I better go get my wife. He said, I'm going to end up in my wife's room to sleep with her. But her father wouldn't let him in. I truly thought you must hate her, her father explained. So I gave her in marriage to your best man. But look, her younger sister is even more beautiful than she is. Marry her instead. Samson said, this time I can't be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you Philistines. He was jealous. He was envious. Naturally. This is Samson's life. Samson's life never found the love that he wanted. That's why I'm sharing this with you this morning, because I, I think it's important to see in a real person's life, what does sin look like? How does sin get in the way of love? You know, when, when we're out of control, when we're impulsive, when we do stupid things, when we make dumb decisions, and we decide in that moment, I, I choose anger instead of love. I choose uh, envy instead of love. I choose this instead of love. What does it look like? What happens? Well, it looks a lot like Samson. Never quite get to where you want to be in the area of love. He's angry, he's envious. Love isn't lazy. Notice it said later on during the wheat harvest. By the way, the, the, the favorite word of lazy people is later. We'll get to it later. Let's do that later. We can, we can get to it later. It says during the wheat harvest, Samson probably was needed in the wheat harvest. He probably needed to help his family to get the wheat, but he's thinking, hey, I'm going to leave during the wheat harvest. I'm going to get out of some work here. And this is when I'm going to choose to go and try to win my wife's heart back. It's an odd time to do it. Samson lazily waited until it was too late to go back and make things right with his wife and his in-laws. That was, that was the problem. He just waited too long. He let too much grass grow under his feet. You miss love when you're lazy. Love isn't lazy. Love finally isn't prideful. Verse 4, then he went out and caught, notice what he did. He caught 300 foxes. He tied their tails together in pairs, and he fastened a torch to each pair of tails. Then he lit the torches and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. I want you to notice when it came to love, he was really lazy. I'll get around to it. I, I, she'll be there. 
she'll be there. But when it came to his anger and his pride and, and his envy, well, he worked really hard at that. All of a sudden, he became a, this incredibly productive person when it came to producing pride and wrath and envy and Look at what he did. That's a lot of work to go find 300 foxes, tie them together, set them on fire. It says, then he lit the torches and let the foxes run to the grain fields of the Philistines. He burned all their grain to the ground, including the sheaves and the uncut grain. He also destroyed their vineyards and olive groves. So many of us are so hardworking when it comes to revenge. We'll do anything to get them back. We'll go to any, any length. We'll, we'll, we'll spare no expense to make sure we punish someone the way they hurt us. And every time it stops us from being able to love, from experiencing love. You can't upgrade your love working hard at envy. Does that make sense? You can't get more, become more of a loving person by becoming more envious. It's impossible to express and give God's grace while you're harboring that kind of envy or anger or unforgiveness. Who did this, the Philistines demanded. Samson was the reply. Because his father-in-law from Timnah gave Samson's wife to be married to his best man, so the Philistines went and got the woman and her father and burned them to death. Tragic. Samson's story, I'm telling you, it's just a tragic story when you read it. <clears throat> there, there was a lot about Samson's life. There was unreached potential, I believe, in his life. God had a destiny for Samson. His whole goal for Samson was to begin to help the Israelites overthrow the Philistines. Well, he started that. But the, there was a lot he left unfinished, I believe. Because you did this, Samson vowed, I won't rest until I take my revenge on you. Rick Warren says, every conflict that you go through in a relationship has an element of pride mixed into it. What is the middle letter of the word pride? I. What's the middle letter of the word crime? I. What's the middle letter of the word sin? I. We have an I problem. I want what I want, and I want it now. And that causes all kinds of problems. In any relationship, never let pride be your guide, because pride is the root of every other sin. Seven deadly sins. I just wanted to be specific this morning. These are areas in our life that really hold us back in the area of upgrading our love. You want to take your love to a whole nother level. I want to become a more loving husband, a more loving father, a more loving pastor. What gets in my way? My sin. My sin. Guess what? Guess what is love? We talked about what love isn't. Guess what is love? God. 1 John 4 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He is love. Notice God is love. Notice it doesn't say sex is love. It doesn't say food is love. It doesn't say wealth is love. 
or envy or laziness or pride. No, these are all the opposite of God, and therefore they're the opposite of love. Where do you need to upgrade your love this morning? Whenever I'm trying to really go to another level in my life, in an area, when I want to become more loving, when I want to try to to be sensitive and work on an area in my life, one of the things I think about is, in the past, have I ever experienced it before? Um, A lady from my home church back in North Carolina posted a picture yesterday on Facebook, and the picture was uh, just a, a, a picture of the face of my youth pastor growing up. He he died around 2009 of acute leukemia. He was 46 years old. To put it in perspective, I'm 44. Two years later, he died. He was one of my best friends growing up. And I never understood why God allowed him to go. But I, link back, I think back to him, and I think about this one instance where he showed me God's love in an amazing way. I was dating a young girl, and I was a junior in high school, and and God had been knocking on the door of my heart saying, I want you to grow closer to me, and this relationship is in the way. This is not the girl that I, for you. You are moving and growing in different directions. And I fought it, and I fought it because I, I, didn't, I didn't want to break up, and I didn't want to lose this relationship. And finally, one day, she and I were sitting at a, at a restaurant, and she looked at me and as we were eating, and she got frustrated, visibly frustrated. She said, you know... All you ever want to talk about these days is that your youth group. All you, want to, you just always want to talk about God. And it was like the Holy Spirit just went, hello, Brad, is that, what else do you need me to do here? And I realized I needed to make a decision. And so we dropped her off at her house, and I just said, look, we, we've got to stop seeing each other. And, and um, she got very angry and began to um, cry and get angry. And I, of course, took it like a man and jumped in my car and, and drove away. And then I was crying as I was driving, and I'm just wiping back tears. I don't know where to go. And, and so I call my youth pastor's house, and I'm like, can I come over there? And they woke them up and out of sleep, and, and they're like, yeah, yeah, come on over. So I sat down in my youth pastor's living room, and I just told him, I just poured my heart out. And he looked at me, and he said, Brad, have you already taken care of this with the Lord? In other words, had I asked forgiveness? Had I made it right? I said, yeah, I have. And I thought for sure he, he was going to blast me. He was going to say, Brad, you have done it this time. You've gone way too long out of God's will. He's never going to take you back. He's never going to use you in the same way. You've limited God in your life because you made this dumb decision. I thought he was going to just really lay into me. He looked at me and he just said, well, then there's, there's nothing left to do. And it was like this breath of fresh mercy just blew all over me. And I realized, that's love. That's love. Have you ever experienced love, real love, God's love? If you can think at times in your life where God has allowed you to experience love, you can draw from that experience. 
you can begin to take steps in your life to upgrade your ability to love, both to give love and to receive love. Because in the end, God's love is the greatest thing in the world. There's nothing like it. Some people look at love like it's a nice-to-have type of thing. You know, like, when's the last time anybody wrote on their resume, well, I'm a really loving person, right? Because that's not what the world is looking for when it comes to they want to use you up, get as much out of you as they can, spit you out, and find another replacement. That's the way the world upgrades. But you know the world is just as needy for love as we are. People are looking for love. And so I want to encourage you. The Bible says that God's love is beyond all understanding. It's something you have to experience. This morning, I just want to ask you to open your heart to God's love. Here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us and sent Jesus to love us, to die on the cross, to come back to life. And I looked at my youth pastor's picture yesterday and I kind of got emotional and I thought back to my times when I was growing up and I thought to myself, the greatest evidence of love is that when Jesus resurrected, He's telling me, I'll see my youth pastor again. I'll see him again. That's love. Love is eternal. Love is forever. All these other things are temporary. To upgrade your love, you've got to know what love is and what it isn't. And you need to experience it. And I pray that we, we can help you experience it here at Crossroads. One of the things I admire most about our pastor, Pastor Tim, he's a man of love. He loves people. He shows that love. I want to be more like him. Let's pray this morning. If you would just bow your head and close your eyes just out of respect for people close to you. We're, we're closing here. We're, we're ending I'm going to pray a very special prayer of blessing. I want to ask you if you would pray for God's love to pour through your life. And then when I say amen, we'll be dismissed. That'll be our, our cue that we can go ahead and begin to go home. Today, as you go into your home and into your life and into your community, I pray for God's love for you. Lord Jesus. We ask you to help us experience your love. Lord, I know there's someone here in this, in this room that needs to experience your love. They need to be forgiven. They need to be shown some grace. They need some mercy extended to them, Lord. Maybe it's something they've rarely experienced. Lord Jesus, my dad only once in his life heard his dad tell him he loved him. And that was on his deathbed. 
Oh God, help us to love sooner. Let us love those in our lives that are close to us. And Jesus, as you commanded, help us also to love our enemies. You are love, God. And we look to you. We are needy. And we can't do this without you. Thank you for sending Jesus. The proof of your love. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. And I would say to you with all of the pastoral sincerity that I, that I can muster this morning, I love you.